Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the, the Lord. Thank you very much, Karen. And why don't we pray as we come to these words in the Bible. Heavenly Father, thank you that everything that we have comes from you. Thank you for your lavish generosity in providing for us day by day, in bringing us into your family. Everything that we enjoy comes from you. And we pray that now as we come to this, this subject of giving, that you would open our minds, that we would understand and our hearts, that we would respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's lovely to be with you. Thank you so much for, for inviting me and letting me join. I do, however, feel that it, it's something of a tricky topic that I've got to speak on today, what is sometimes called a, a hospital pass that I have to deal with. Back in the, in the UK, there's one very simple rule when it comes to talking about money, and the rule is don't ever talk about money. 
It's just one of those things which is considered vulgar and impolite. You never talk about how much you earn or other people earn or about how much things cost. It's just a, a topic which is kind of off limits. The simple rule is you don't talk about money. The only problem with that rule is that it's kind of highly impractical because from time to time you need to talk about money and churches need to talk about money. Charlton Church needs to talk about money, which is why we've had that very helpful finance update. And the Bible talks a, a lot about money. Jesus, well, of his 38 parables, 16 of them address the topic of money. Something like one in 10 of verses in the New Testament are all about money. And it's not just our money, it's our priorities. So often the way that we use money reflects what our real priorities are in life. And we're going to be thinking about that in Luke chapter 16. But but before we dive into these verses, let's just think back to Luke chapter 15. Because actually in Luke chapter 15, what we see so much of is the Lord's priorities, his heart, his passion, his heart and his passion for the lost. And you may recall the parables in Luke chapter 15, they're very famous. Jesus tells this parable of a lost sheep. A sheep is out with a flock, but it gets disconnected from the rest. It, it strays, and then the shepherd hunts high and hunts low until, it finds, until he finds this lost sheep, and then he rejoices. That's the first parable. The next parable is of a lost coin, a woman at home, and she loses one of her ten coins. Perhaps that's the week's shopping, and so she's desperately looking everywhere, sh- sweeping into this corner, into that corner, until eventually she finds it, and then she rejoices. And the third of the parables, well, the third of the parables is perhaps the most famous, the parable of the lost psalm, that prodigal who takes his share of his father's inheritance. He squanders it in immoral living. He's lost in every sense. But then he comes to his senses. He returns home. His father welcomes him in and rejoices. And these parables about things which are lost and the rejoicing after they are found, well, it's all about the Lord's heart. The Lord's heart for things which are lost, for this world which are lost, for the millions of people who, if they die tonight, would be lost an eternity away from him. And for the listeners who are listening in on Jesus' teaching, the implicit question is, well, do they share that priority for the lost as well? And the implicit question for us as we listen into those parables is, is do we share that same priority for the lost? That's chapter 15. And then in chapter 16, well, Jesus gives us, we might say, a, a test or a barometer or or something to just give us a clue for how we're doing at joining in with the Lord's mission and his priorities. And, you know, he doesn't point us to our diaries, how we're using our time, or to our contacts, who we're in touch with and how. He doesn't point us to our gifts or our personalities. No, he points us to to our money, to our cash. How we use our money reflects so much about what our priorities are. And we're going to split this morning up into two sections. The first heading is money is a tool. Money is a tool. And Jesus explains how money is a very powerful tool for for helping to build God's kingdom. 
But he does it by telling this extremely unusual parable, the parable of the dishonest manager. So look with me at verse 1 and 2. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. But this manager had a very prestigious, cushy position, a job with all kinds of perks, an expense account, a nice flat in Repulse Bay. He had everything, but he got found out because he was dishonest. And so he gets called into his boss's oak-paneled office, and he's given the boot. He's told, look, you've got to wrap up accounts this afternoon, put your things in a box, and get out. And so he wanders back to his desk and puts his head in his hands and thinks to himself, well, I'm, I'm done for. I've lost it all. I've lost the flat. I'm going to be out on the street. I'm blackballed. Nobody's going to give me a manager's job now. And I'm too old to get a job on, on the building site. And I'm too ashamed to go and beg. What am I going to do? And then in his desperation, he has a sudden flash of inspiration. He thinks, well, I've, I've still got access to these accounts for one afternoon. I'm going to use them in order to make some friends. And so he calls in the boss's clients one by one. And this is what he says. Well, how much do you owe my, my master? 900 gallons of olive oil? Well, take your bill. Sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asks the second. And how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat? Well, take your bill and make it 800. Now, we don't know exactly all the technicalities of how all of these transactions worked and how they would have functioned in the first century. Commentators differ. But some commentators think that maybe he was wiping off the interest. See, you may know that Jews were forbidden from charging interest on, on money, but some unscrupulous lenders would charge interest on things like oil and wheat. So it could be that the boss was a bit of a crook and he had employed a, a dodgy manager to look after these dodgy accounts, and it only sacked him when he realized the manager was, uh, was stealing from him. And that could just explain how the manager is able to wipe these huge amounts off the accounts seemingly without any kind of concern for, of retribution. It could be that, well, he knows that his boss is doing something that is illegal, and so he can't take him to court anyway. But irrespective of exactly how all of these transactions are functioning, what's very clear is that by the end of the afternoon, he has made a lot of very powerful and wealthy friends. He doesn't need to worry now. He knows that he can ring up someone and say, well, could I borrow your, your flat in, uh, in Singapore? I'm going to be traveling there soon. Could I crash on your, your yacht in Aberdeen because I don't have anywhere to stay tonight? He's going to be just fine. And so when he saunters into his boss's, his boss's office at the end of the afternoon and presents the accounts, well, all that his boss can say to him is, touche, well done. Well, you've saved your biggest hustle for the last afternoon. You've wiped millions of my accounts. And there's absolutely nothing that I can do about it. Well done. Now get out of my office. I never want to see you again. Now, um, there's some things that we don't exactly understand about these verses, but the basics are, are very clear. Jesus is not saying that we should be dishonest. Instead, he's saying that we should be strategic. 
So this manager, well, he was put in charge of things that he didn't own. He had those things just for a very short time before they were taken away, but he used those things to produce a result that would last long after those things were taken away. And Jesus is, is drawing a parallel. You see, you and I, we too have been given care of things that don't really belong to us. Our money and our possessions, they belong, belong to the Lord. And those things will very soon be taken from us on the day that we die. And we are wise if we use those things now to produce a result that will last after they're taken away. And the thing that Jesus really points to is relationships. He says invest in friendship. Have a look with me at verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The eternal dwellings that is being referred to here is heaven. And Jesus isn't saying that we can pay our way into heaven. He's not saying that we can pay for other people to get into heaven. No, instead he's saying that the, the way that we use our possessions and the way that we use our money now echoes into eternity through relationships. You see, think about it like this. How does someone become a Christian? Well, we, we know that it's through the Lord, working in them, regenerating them through his word and Holy Spirit. But humanly speaking, how does someone become a Christian? Well, maybe it's, it's that they get told about Jesus at their workplace. And then someone gives them a Christian book to read. Well, who pays for that book? Or maybe they go to a Christianity Explored course and watch some videos and have a free meal. Well, who pays to run for that Christianity Explored course? And then maybe they come to church for six months or a year or two years while they're figuring everything out, thinking it through, piecing it together. Well, as we've just seen, it costs a lot of money to run a church. It takes an investment actually, to produce the result of that person trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after they've trusted, well, it takes a lot more investment for that person to be taught so that they become a really mature Christian in the end. It's all about investments. Now, here in Hong Kong, we know all about investment, don't we? And there's different types of investment. Maybe you've got some investment. They're short and medium-term investments. We can invest on the stock market, that might produce some kind of results in, who knows, months or years. There's longer-term investments, maybe getting on the property ladder in the hope that it will appreciate, and maybe that will give us a return in a, in a decade or even in two decades. But the kind of investment that Jesus is talking about here, well, it only really pays out in the new creation. It only pays out after the resurrection, and just imagine the joy that that can bring for the Christian who's, who's foregone some pleasures in the here and the now, but sees how those things echo in eternity. Perhaps meeting another Christian in heaven and that person saying, thank you. Thank you for, for foregoing those things and investing in that church that I went to. Thank you for putting money into world mission or into parachurch organizations or into organizations that train Bible teachers because 
those things were instrumental in me trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those things were instrumental in me growing in faith so that I could bless other people. Thank you so much for all that you've done. Now, just to be clear, it's, it's not saying that we're not going to have any friends in heaven unless we cough up money now. No, in heaven, we're all going to be friends with each other. Nor is it saying that unless we pay money now, people are not going to get into heaven. We know that's not the case either because the Lord is sovereign over salvation. He's got this great big plan to reach out to a lost world. And he knows the sheep which are his. He, he will bring them in. And he's paid the ultimate price in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to go and shed his blood on the cross for you and for me and for all of God's people. He's got this great big plan. And the question is, will we share that great big plan? Will we partner in that Money is a tool for partnering in that. Will we use our time and our energy and our money to build God's kingdom and to seek to reach out to the lost? Money is a tool, and and money is also a a test test of how we're doing with sharing those priorities. Look with me at verse 11 and verse 13. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You you cannot serve both God and money. Well, it's saying here that we need to be trustworthy and faithful with our money. Now, one way, very obviously, that we need to be faithful with our money is in looking after our family. And that's very important. Those people have been put in our care. But the, but the big point which is being made here is not so much are we looking after our family. Instead, it's about the priorities in our hearts. Do we share the Lord's priorities when it comes to money? You know, it's so easy to idolize money and so many people in this world idolize money. Money promises so much, doesn't it, as an idol? It promises security. It promises comfort. People think to themselves, you know, if only I had a, a bit more money in the bank account, then, then life would be better. Then I could be sure that, that life would be more comfortable. We'd have a slightly bigger flat. We'd be able to go on holiday slightly more often. We'd be able to enjoy eating with our friends at those slightly better restaurants. Life would be slightly more comfortable. Our life would be slightly more secure. I know that I'd be able to fit those medical bills when they came along. I know that we'd be able to look after our parents. We'd be able to send our children to the right kind of schools so that they could get the right kind of career. Then they would have the right kind of money. And then we know that that life would be more secure. Money promises security. It promises comfort. But in the end, it just can't deliver on those things in a meaningful way. Because so many people, and we, we know this, so many people have a lot of money but just aren't very happy. Instead of that, well, money brings all kinds of arguments. They're anxious that they're going to lose their money. They're discontent because they inevitably want more money. And in the end, they're vulnerable. 
still vulnerable to investments and stock markets and things like that. And in the end, money can't protect us. It can't protect us from a car crash. It can't protect us or our loved ones from cancer. Money just can't deliver on those big promises that it makes of giving us security and of giving us comfort. But nevertheless, the people of this world idolize it. And, and sometimes, in, in some moments, maybe we're tempted to go after money as well. But in these verses, Jesus is saying very starkly, well, in the end, we can only serve one or the other. Either we're serving the Lord or we're serving money. Either we're devoted to the Lord or we're devoted to our cash. Either our relationship with the Lord is neglected and performs badly, or our bank balance is going to be neglected and is going to perform badly. We've got a choice there. You see, that's because if we're a Christian who's committed to God's plan to reach this world, then we're going to be financially on board with that plan. And that means that we're going to be giving sacrificially. And giving sacrificially means that we're going to have to make sacrifices in other areas of our lives. Maybe that means that we spend less money on going out. We spend less money on clothing, that we're living in a slightly smaller flat, or it takes a bit longer to save up, to put in that installment to buy a flat. Maybe our children are going to slightly less good schools than we might otherwise send them to. Now, if we explain that to a non-Christian, they'd say, well, you're mad. You're crazy. Why are you throwing your money away like that? I mean, yeah, sure, give to charity, give some money to the church, but don't go overboard. Otherwise, you're depriving yourself. You're depriving your family of all the things that they should really have. But the Christian thinks to themselves, no, 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 I'm making an investment. And this is going to pay out in the new creation. I'm willing to give sacrificially because Jesus gave sacrificially too. Conversely, if we're focused on our money, then inevitably that is going to crowd out the Lord and it's going to crowd out other important things in our life as well. Because we'll always be interested, well, how much money am I making? And we'll be locked into getting the right kind of job, maybe working long hours in order to make enough money to get the flat, to get the right kind of standard of living, to send our kids to the right kind of school. Maybe even convincing ourselves that actually we're just doing our God-given duty to look after our family. But actually, all the time, our, our eyes are so fixed on the dollars and earning those dollars that we don't really have time to invest in our relationship with God or to properly invest in our relationship with the church or to invest in our relationship with a family or to give really sacrificially, because if we give really sacrificially, then we're not going to hit those financial goals that we set ourselves. Well, Martin Luther, the Reformation pastor, I think quite incisively said that the wallet is so often the last part of a person to get converted. Because we can give our life to Jesus, and we can start to conform externally, but in the secrecy of our bank account, we can just be doing whatever we want. As we log into our online banking, all of those ingoings and those outgoings, those things are a window into 
our priorities and the Lord sees? Will we share his priorities of reaching this world which is so desperately lost? Now, as we think about things, we need to remember that it's about our heart. It's, it's not about the numbers. We are all in different situations. Some can give more. Some can give less. We had this very helpful presentation that did highlight some of the numbers, numbers that we needed to hear. But it's not all about the numbers. And, and I can give us lots of numbers. I could tell us about the millions, the billions that it costs to run churches around the world and parachurch organizations and Bible colleges. I could give examples of people giving 50% or 60% or 70% or 80% or 90% of all of their annual income. But we're all in different circumstances. It's not about the numbers. It's about our heart. The Lord's heart is, is for this world, a world which is lost. Will our heart be, be for the world as well? Money is a tool and money is a test. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful, lavish generosity to us. Thank you that as we reflected earlier, everything that we have comes from you. Thank you that most of all you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place. Thank you that you love this world and you want to draw people to yourself. We pray that you would help us to share that same love and that same priorities. Show us the ways in which we can partner with you, using all that we have and all that we are, including our money, we pray. Amen.